What would you do if you won the lottery? It's okay to let your imagination uh, fly and spin a little bit. What would you do if you won the lottery? I think I heard that someone won the Mega Millions a couple weeks ago, and it was like $1.34 billion, but he hadn't claimed it yet. I don't know what's happened since. I mean, just imagine what you could do with that amount of money. But here's the thing, and you might know this already. Lottery winners are more likely to go bankrupt than the average American. So for all of us in this room, I assume no one here has won the lottery yet. If you have, you could come talk to me afterwards. Um, In the next three to five years, people who have won the lottery are more likely to go bankrupt than any of us here. The irony is that winning the lottery usually doesn't make your financial problems better. It usually makes them worse. A guy named Don McNay is a financial consultant for lottery winners. I don't know how you get that job, but somehow he has it. He says it's not just the lottery winners' financial lives that gets worse. People who win the lottery, it's their entire lives that get worse. This guy says most people who win the lottery struggle with depression. They, they, many of them contemplate suicide. Many of them end up getting divorced. One guy he consulted is named Jack Whitaker. He's from West Virginia. Jack won $315 million. But after that, Jack's daughter and granddaughter died from a drug overdose. Jack was robbed of half a million dollars. And according to McNay, Jack has now gone completely crazy. You know, for a lot of us, one of, if not our biggest stress, has to deal with money. And I bet for a lot of us, the solution to that stress, we think, is money. If only I could get a raise, if only I could get a new job, if only I didn't have to pay this bill, if only I could afford a new car, if only I could afford a new house, if only I could retire, just fill in the blank, then I would be fine. Now, there might be some truth to that. But the Bible's here to tell you that it's not that simple. Yes, it's wise to develop strategies for managing your budget. It's wise to develop strategies for getting out of debt. But if we don't know the purpose of money, then either we won't stick to those strategies or we'll use those strategies for wrong reasons. So here we are back in the book of Proverbs, and the Proverbs has a lot to say about money. If we're going to summarize what it has to say, we could say this. Money is a gift from God that he gives through our work for the glory of his name and the good of others. Money is a gift from God that he gives through our work for the glory of his name and the good of others. We'll answer three big questions in our time this morning. Is money good or bad? Where does money come from? And what should we do with it? Question number one, is money good or bad? Now, I just want everybody to answer this. I'm going to ask it again, and you have permission. Or just say, good or bad, give me your gut reaction. All right? Is money good or bad? Okay, there's obviously a mixed response, wasn't there? And you might have felt hesitant in your answer, right? Uh, That's because the question isn't as simple as it appears. There are layers to it. And we'll get to those layers very soon. But for now, we might take it for granted. Money in itself is not a bad thing, but a good thing. 
Money in itself is not a bad thing, but a good thing. So you have another list of Proverbs that was included in your bulletin. You want to keep this handy throughout our time. Uh, All of these have to deal with money or work or stewarding our possessions in some way. I want to point you to the Proverbs that confirm that money in itself is not a bad thing, but a good thing. So look at the very end of that list, Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. I just want you to focus on the last part of those verses. We'll return to them later. These verses tell us that when we don't have money, we are easily tempted to sin. When we don't have money, we are tempted to steal and thereby profane the name of our God. Look up at chapter 18, verse 23. It says, the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Or later, chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. These verses tell us that money in itself provides a measure of stability. Money means you don't have to be desperate. Money means you don't have to be enslaved to debt. Look at chapter 14, verse 20. It says, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Money provides social advantages. Even while the verse after this one upholds kindness to the poor, it also acknowledges the reality of a fallen world. People usually aren't friends with those who constantly ask for money. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. So at that time when this was written, uh, a servant was a basic convenience Uh, that even the most modest amount of money could afford. Those with no money might pretend to be rich, but they can't afford even the most basic necessities. I recall a conversation I had with a church member this week who told me about a neighbor who got evicted from their house. They didn't pay rent. And when they got evicted, they found in their house five or six big flat screen TVs. Right? Uh, Proverbs 12 verse 9 kind of sums up that mentality. Money in itself is not a bad thing, but a good thing. Look at chapter 11, verse 25, last verse. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Having money allows you to support and serve those around you in ways that you couldn't if you didn't have money. So just to recap, here are all the benefits that money has in itself. So having money can help you avoid certain kinds of temptation. Having money can bring you a measure of stability. Having money can bring some social benefits. Having money allows you to purchase necessities and even the conveniences of life. Having money can allow you to support and serve other people. Again, money in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You see, when we automatically assume that money in itself is a bad thing, then it's going to affect our outlook on life. And I'd argue with you that it will even affect how you view God. If you want, you can flip there with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, just the very beginning of the chapter. comes near the end of the New Testament. All the T's are locked up together between Timothy, Titus, and Thessalonians. 1 Timothy 4. The Apostle Apostle Paul writes this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So these false teachers in Ephesus said that good things like marriage, good things like certain foods are bad in themselves. Now, if we assume that, we'll have an easier time thinking of God more like a joyless curmudgeon than thinking of God like a generous father. You see, the problem, the Apostle Paul says, isn't with the gifts, it's with us and how we use the gifts. God intends good gifts to show off his goodness. The same thing works with money. It's a good gift on its own, but... How we treat it can make it a bad gift. So back to our question. Is money good or bad? Well, the answer is complicated. It's layered. Money is good in itself, but money is not ultimate. Money is good, but it's not ultimate. Maybe the proverb that captures best what we're talking about is Proverbs 11, verse 28. It says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Look closely. What is this verse warning us against? Is it warning us against riches? No, it's warning us against trusting in riches. Reminds me again from another passage of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 is famous Not for saying that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's famous for saying the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So since money is not ultimate, it's dangerous to trust in it. Since money is not ultimate, it's dangerous to trust in it. It's dangerous to trust in money because it won't do you any good when you stand before God to give an account for your life. God's not going to be impressed by your early retirement God's not going to be impressed by your five beach houses. Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It's dangerous to trust in money. It's dangerous to trust in money because you can't take it with you. I've heard it said that no one's ever seen a U-Haul attached to a funeral hearse. Chapter 23 verses 4 to 5 Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. It's dangerous to trust in money. Because your craving for money will end up consuming you. And it will affect the people around you. Chapter 15, verse 27 Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. When you're consumed with getting money, you end up neglecting the people you should love. Money is good, but it's not ultimate. So it's dangerous to trust in it. Chapter 18, verses 10 to 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. 
Jesus warned that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's because it's hard for a rich man to see his need for God. He's got everything he needs already. The rich man has a wrong view of money. He thinks money is ultimate. He thinks money is what makes him secure. Well, Proverbs 18, 10 to 11 tells us that in money, people imagine that they have a strong tower of bricks, but in reality, they have a tower of straw. It's easily blown over. People who treat money as ultimate ask money to do for them what only God can do for them. So money is good, but it's not ultimate. So it's dangerous to trust in it. Now, as we reflect on this, you and I might be tempted to think that this mindset doesn't really affect us. Oh, but friends, I don't think we're off the hook so easily. I think this mindset is very, very subtle. Even in something innocuous, I think of the commercials we see on TV, right? I think of the, uh, the investment or the retirement commercials that I watch on TV, something like from T. Rowe Price, right? Uh, all these commercials are basically the same. All these commercials usually have like an older couple who are grandparents, they're dressed very nice, and they show them in different scenes of life, and it's like this couple doesn't have any problems. You know why this couple doesn't have any problems in this commercial? Well, because money has solved all their problems, that's why. Well, this is a subtle way of treating money as ultimate, of money being your strong tower rather than the Lord. It's very subtle. I think of our aspirations of what the good life on earth is, our aspirations of the ideal lifestyle. Usually, that's a lifestyle that money can provide us. Oh, that's a subtle way of making money ultimate. I think of what we worry about the most. Matthew chapter six, Jesus talks about worrying about money and clothing. If this worry consumes us, it's subtly showing that we're making money ultimate instead of God. It betrays a lack of trust in God to give us what we need. It's very easy, friends, even in subtle ways, to view money wrongly, and that sets us up to use money poorly. So, big question number two. Where does money come from? Where does money come from? Uh, Nope, not just the the printing presses in various cities around America. Uh, It's deeper than that. This is another question that addresses our view of money, but it comes at it from a slightly different angle. Where does money come from? This is a question we could take for granted, especially in our very consumeristic age. So I'll use my favorite store as an example, Costco. Right? We went to Costco yesterday along with 12,000 other people. So I can go into Costco and I could find really almost any product imaginable. Right? Let's say I want to go into Costco and get a new Sonic Air mechanical toothbrush. All I have to do is show up at Costco, find the toothbrush, pick it out, take a magical plastic card, swipe it, and it's mine. That process is so easy that I can take for granted where the toothbrush actually came from. It took engineers to design the toothbrush so that it functions well. It took the American Dental Association to approve the toothbrush and so it's safe to use. It took manufacturers to make individual parts for the toothbrush, assemble it together, package it, ship it, workers at Costco to unload it, and the money I used to purchase it even, I shouldn't take for granted. It's not imaginary. It can be traced back to a source. 
It can be traced back to the people here who so generously support me and my ministry as a pastor. It can be traced back to your places of employment who pay you for your work. And that can be traced all the way back to God who gave us the opportunity, the skill to work. Oh, just asking the question, where does money come from? That helps us to appreciate the money we have so much more. As you might have guessed, Proverbs upholds that money comes from God. So when you trace your money backwards to see where it came from, the final source won't be you. The final source won't be your employer. The final source won't be the New York Stock Exchange. The final source won't be the global market of supply and demand. The final source of where your money comes from will be God. Proverbs 10, verse 22, says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. God is the source of the good gifts we enjoy, including money. God gives them to us not just to provide for us, but to point us back to him. So if you don't want money to make you sorrowful, as Proverbs 10, says, then you must know that money ultimately comes from the Lord. I want to tell you the benefits of having this perspective. Friends, when you know that money comes from God and not yourself, it makes contentment and peace and hope possible when you think about your money. When you know that money doesn't come from you, but from God, it makes contentment and peace possible So for those who trust in Christ, you can have confidence in God, not just because God is your provider, but because now God is also your father. And Jesus assures you and me that our father knows what we need even before we ask. Jesus assures you and me who believe in him that our father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. So that means now the good news is that your stability and your contentment no longer have to rest on your ever-changing bank account. No, the good news is now your stability and your contentment can rest on the never-changing nature of your provider and your father. That's what we read about earlier in Hebrews 13, 5 to 6, which says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Well, he tells us, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God's promise is the source of our stability and our contentment. So we can confidently say, Hebrews continues, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When you know that money comes from God, friends, the benefit is that it makes humility possible. When you know that money comes from God, it makes humility possible. If your money comes from God, that keeps you from being wrongly puffed up about yourself and your abilities. Proverbs says all over the place that pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous because, for many reasons, one is because it's a lie. It's not true that our money comes from our ability. It comes from the Lord. And the Proverbs says pride leads to the fall. Those who trust in their own riches set themselves up for ruin. So instead, we remember that our money comes from God. We remember with 1 Corinthians 4. What do we have that we have not received? We remember what God says in Jeremiah 9. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. When you know that money comes from God, it makes humility possible. When you know that money comes from God, it makes responsibility possible. You see, if money just came from you, then you should feel fine in using it however you want. 
But if the money you're spending and using didn't come from you, but came from the Lord, and he's entrusted you with it, oh, my friend, then that should incentivize you and urge you to take responsible care of your money. When you know that money does not come from you, but from God, it makes generosity possible. So if you think you are the source of your own money, then you have every right to be stingy with your money. You have every right to say, I didn't get any handouts. I'm not gonna give any handouts to any other people. No, but if the source of your money is God's generosity, then who are you not to be generous with others? So where does money come from? Well, the short answer is it comes from God. But we can't just leave it there. You said a couple of weeks ago, we went to the, the zoo just a few minutes from here. We had a great time seeing uh, the creatures that the Lord has made. Uh, and, and I have no doubt that the zookeepers at the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo do a phenomenal job taking care of the animals there. Uh, one of the things I love is to watch the feeding time for the tigers, lions, and bears. It's really cool. But as uh, I'm watching the feeding time, it, it struck me. I don't know if this strikes you. I can't help but think, but that these animals getting fed takes away from what it means to be a tiger and lion and bear, right? It, it, getting fed provides for these animals, but it does kind of rob them of their dignity. So money comes from God, but God normally provides through our work. That dignifies us. And I say normally because, friends, we're in a fallen world with injustice, where people are robbed, where greedy can get rich sometimes, and the upright and and those who have integrity can lose money. But normally, how God has designed it, he provides, but he provides through our work. That dignifies us. It gives us the privilege to reflect God, who works to create everything that we see. Proverbs says that God provides for us not just through our work, not just, but through a particular kind of work. He provides for us through our diligence and our honest work. So I want to show you these throughout this list. Diligence is all over this list that I gave you. I'll draw your attention to a few verses. First, look at chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 10, verse 4. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle or or quickly, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to to poverty. God dignifies us by providing not just through work, but by providing for us through our diligent work. You see, wealth that's built over time is wealth that's more likely to be appreciated and cared for. Wealth that's built over time, that's built diligently, is wealth that is sturdier. Diligent, little by little work, blesses us in so many ways. Through diligent work, God blesses us with patience and character and wisdom and skill Friend, if God didn't dignify us with diligent work, then we would be so easily entitled, wouldn't we? We would expect everything immediately. If God didn't dignify us with diligent work, then we would have a hard time knowing what to prioritize. If we just had an unlimited amount of money, we could just spend on whatever we wanted. 
I think about the prodigal son. Remember that he got his inheritance in just one big lump sum. And what happened to him? He didn't appreciate it and he wasted it. God dignifies us with diligent work. If he didn't do this, we would never have opportunity to improve our skills at our work. Day in, day out work builds your skill and enables you to be more of a blessing. Chapter 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So diligent, little by little work blesses us with patience. It blesses us with character. It blesses us with wisdom and skill. God dignifies us through diligence. And just to to dwell on this a little bit more, friends, diligence is underrated. Diligence is underrated. I, I think about how diligence is underrated when it comes to the work of gospel ministry in churches. Diligence is underrated. You know, we value big productions and big events, fruit by the bushels full. We think that every Sunday should be the day of Pentecost where thousands of people get saved. Friends, that's not what the New Testament upholds. You know how the New Testament normally describes gospel work? It likens it to the work of a farmer. Plotting, sowing, watering slowly and diligently. Churches that aren't committed to diligent work are often those where the leaders burn out. Diligence is underrated. But diligence is also underrated in all work in general. So for you, your job might feel like it's a dead end. Your job might be really tiring. Your job might feel like it doesn't give you enough. So please don't hear this as a blanket statement to stay in your job forever. However, if you in some way feel that way, recognize and remember the blessing of diligence. Friend, think of yourself like a pot roast. You might wish your job was like a microwave. But if you try to microwave a pot roast, it's going to taste weird. And it probably won't work. Your diligent little by little job is like a crock pot. It takes a long time, but that's what produces the good flavors. God dignifies us. He does good to us by providing for us. And he normally provides through our work, work that is diligent and work that is honest. Work that is honest. I want to point you to a couple verses that talk about honest work. Chapter 10, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 20, verse 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Chapter 21, verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. When God calls us to honest work, he calls us to reflect his character. Because honest work, like God's work, works to bless others, not take from others. Dishonest work works to rob others to bless ourselves. When God calls us to honest work, he calls us to trust in him. All the, all the ways we could cheat people for their money, all the sinful shortcuts we could take show a lack of trust in God to provide. Honest work shows our trust in God's wisdom. Even here, it, says, it, it tells us shortcuts and get-rich-quick schemes. Guys, they don't work and they don't last. 
The irony is that most people who get caught up in gambling or get caught up in buying scratch-offs or in multi-level marketing are already poor and in debt. And they use those things to try to get themselves out of poverty, but the irony is that it ends up driving them further into poverty. God blesses us with honest work. So friend, let's talk about your job. Your job might not feel like it's cool. Your job might not feel like it's an area you're passionate about. If it is, that's a bonus. But if you do diligent and honest work unto the Lord, your job is honorable. These are qualities through which God dignifies us and even fulfills us at our work. Diligence and honesty. So where does money come from? Well, money comes from the Lord, who normally provides through our diligent and honest work. Big question number three. What should we do with our money? Just carry the logic of what we've been talking about and you'll probably be able to answer this. Now, just to get it out of the way, verses throughout Proverbs do tell us that, we need to, that money provides for our basic needs. Now, beyond that basic function, we should have two principles in mind for how we use our money. If God is the one who provides for us and if money comes from the Lord, then we should honor God with our money. That should be the first principle. Honor God with our money. Look at chapter three, verses nine to 10. It says straight up, doesn't it? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're going to talk about the second part later on. For now, just focus on verse 9. And I'm struck by the word first fruits in verse 9. That would be the first yield of your crop. Now, you and I aren't farmers, but think about what this verse is telling us. When we receive income and remember where it comes from, our first thought and reaction should be I want to honor the Lord with this money. Brother and sister, is that your first thought or reaction when you, have, when you hold your paycheck in your hands, when you see the notification of the direct deposit in your bank account? Is your first thought and reaction, I want to honor the Lord with the money that he's provided me? One pastor asks this, are we really going to tell the Lord that, hey, God, I'm going to try to squeeze you in this month's budget. We'll see. But notice in verse 9, the verse does not say, give God your first fruits and then use the rest however you want. No, it doesn't say that because that's how the Pharisees treated their money. Jesus calls them out for it too. Matthew 23, verse 22. He essentially tells these guys, hey, you tithe every part of your income, but then you go on to treat people like garbage. They tithe to keep up the appearance of godliness and to cover up their selfish greed. So here's what this means, just kind of brass tacks. Friends, you and I can write a check to the church, but that doesn't mean we're honoring God with our money. Proverbs 3, 9 tells us to honor the Lord, not just with our first fruits, but with all of our wealth. Every purchase spent in a way that, that honors God. Because that should lead us to treat money in ways we've talked about already, to treat our money with contentment, to treat our money with gratitude, to treat our money with responsibility, to treat our money with trust in the Lord. So what should we do with our money? We should honor God with it. And this is likely a bigger mindset shift than a lot of us realize. Author Paul David Tripp writes this. 
He says, you and I will never use money the way it was meant to be used. And we will never break disastrous money habits if we are not living in light of the fact that life is not about us. We are God's idea. We reflect his design. We exist for his purpose. And we have been commissioned to do his will. So when it comes to money, you and I weren't designed to find our own way to make it up as we go along or to write our own set of rules. You see, the world wasn't first created to be a vehicle for realizing our personal definition of happiness. Money wasn't created for the sole purpose of bringing into our lives all the things that we crave. The first step in money sanity is surrendering to the glory of one who is greater than you. Friend, I wonder if you have surrendered to the glory of one who is greater than you. If you want to find out whether or not you have done that, use the tests that cops use to track down criminals. Follow the money. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Your money is a dangerous thing to trust in. It will not save you from death. Proverbs 10.2 says only righteousness delivers from death. But friend, let's be honest. You and I have selfishly spent our money and the way we've done that clearly shows that you and I are not righteous. And this is why we need Jesus, the righteous one, who was never greedy. And he died for our unrighteousness. And yet death could not hold him because he was perfectly righteousness and he was delivered from it. He is the only one who can save you and me, not your money. So surrender to his greater glory and make Jesus your treasure. And believers in Christ, ask God to help you to honor him with your money. Do this by praying the prayer of chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. Let's look back at that again. We'll read it all. You know, this is the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here's a guy who just knows himself and knows his own weaknesses. Notice that this guy's highest concern isn't his money. It's how he treats God. How many people pray, God, don't make me rich? His highest concern is that he would continue to honor the Lord. So friends, what should we do with our money? We should honor God with it. Principle number two, we should honor God with our money by being generous to others with our money. We should honor God and be generous to others. This is our foundation. Love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. How this works out in detail will depend largely on your specific situation. So just a quick tangent here. I'm going to give you some practical help. Quick show of hands. How many people have put together a budget and have had some amount of success in following the budget? Anybody? You can be bold. Keep your hands up. Don't be ashamed. All right. People in the room, these are the people you talk to afterwards if you want help in your specific situation with how to apply these foundational principles, okay? But let's talk about being generous. This is our, this is our closing. I, look, I wanna show you verses that exhort us to be generous with our money. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. 
and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. As the rest of the Bible unfolds, it shows us the greatest motivation for our generosity is Christ's generosity to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that though Jesus was rich, that for our sake, he became poor so that we might be rich in him. This means that because Jesus paid it all, we don't need money to be our all. We can hold it with open hands. So to be generous with money, you don't need to have a lot of it. You just need to be rich in Jesus. You need a heart that aligns with Psalm 73, verse 25. The psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's the heart that you need to be generous. It's old money with an open hand. We trust Proverbs' wisdom and say that the way to blessing is not taking, but giving. The way to blessing is not taking, but giving. But you might ask me, Steve, what about greedy people who get rich? What about generous people who are poor? As one pastor writes, the point of Proverbs is is that God's wisdom will work out ultimately, even if it doesn't work out immediately in this life. After all, look at Jesus. You remember that Satan tempted Jesus to take all the kingdoms of the world. Instead, Jesus gave his life. That didn't work out immediately. But what ultimately happened? God rose Jesus from the dead and gave his son all authority on heaven and earth. Think about Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus out of his greed and Judas took money for himself. Jesus was generous and gave his life for it. In the immediate sense, it didn't work out. The way of taking seemed to be the way of life and the way of giving seemed to be the way of death. But that's not how it turned out in the ultimate sense. In the ultimate sense, there was a reversal. The one who took died and the one who gave was delivered from death. Friends, money is good, but it's not everything. It comes from the Lord, our provider, and he normally provides through our diligent, honest work. And we should use it like Jesus used his life, not to take, but to give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for living the life that we should have lived. We, we confess that we are, we are humbled by our needless, unwarranted greed, our selfish way that we approach our entire lives, and including how we approach our possessions. Yes, Lord, may we remember your, what you have said, that our life consists not in the abundance of our possessions. Our life is you. You are our greatest treasure. Give us that heart. And then let that affect how we treat our money. Let that affect how we use it, how we take care of it, how we give it away, how we hold it with an open hand. Help us, God, to honor you in every area of our lives, including how we use our money. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.